Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Alrighty. Well, we left off kind of in the middle of 210. 110. 610. 210. 210. So we were in a conversation about the poor and out of all the things that Paul was told, the only thing noted here is that whatever you do, don't forget the poor. So the poor gotta, gotta be important. So we talked a bit about that last week, but bottom line is the way we treat the poor is perhaps, well, it's definitely, the best reflection of our relationship with Jesus. Because it's not exactly what Jesus did. He's with the poor, for the most part. And the, the way he loved them and cared for them and, and helped them to understand, then since we claim to be like Christ, that we too need to do the same. It's the premier way that we are known as Christian, is the way we treat the poor. Because if we're just nice to the rich, that says something too, doesn't it? Right? So we have to be very, very mindful of that. I, I get a lot of phone calls and drop-in visits and all kinds of communication from the poor of Bedford County. I mean, they're calling from Saxton and all over the place for crying out loud. Yeah. So, and somehow they find us. But somehow figure out, you guys are supposed to be nice to me. <laughs> now, that doesn't mean we give them everything they want. We just, you know, you know give money because they, they ask. We try and help find long-term solutions for their problems, but they somehow just naturally know that the church is designed to help. Not all churches do. And the story I usually get is I've called 14 other churches and I've called this organization, that organization, and all these other people, and nobody else can help, but I'm sure hoping you can. So it becomes a, a, a real joy to be able to help people in genuine need like that. Now, in 2.10, all the S is that we should continue to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. So in other words, will you share this ministry with us? This is James, Peter, and, and uh, John making this request to Paul. Will, will you be mindful and share the, this common unity we have in our approach to the poor? Now, let me ask a question or two or six. Because what we're talking about now is unity. Now, we talked in Romans of how important that is. It's really, really important. But do we as Christians, whether you want to look at it as Christianity worldwide, or if you want to look at it as BUMC, your answer will be the same. Is it necessary for Christians to agree on everything? Good answer. Well, that's why it's a good answer because our brains would explode if we tried it, right? So it's not, it's not, not going to happen. Should we at least agree on a few important matters? Yes. Okay. So what this is demonstrating is that our approach to the poor is one of those highly visible and demonstrative ways in which we are unified. So this church does a really good job with that. I mean, we got a, a significant budget that is pretty much available for when somebody comes in. I'm allowed to write checks. I'm allowed to do all that kind of stuff and just stand on a rooftop and throw money around. Well, I'm a little more responsible than that, but <laughs> <laughs> the, the, the board members 
you know, a little, little, little bit concerned about that. Yeah, Carrie and Justin will be meeting after the meeting tonight. And, um, but it, it, we do that because, as a whole, we have said this is what we want to do. We could very easily say we have no money available for anybody for anything. Um, but it's really neat when someone from our church has a need and I'm able to to help in a particular way. That's that's really cool. One of our own. But whether it's one of our own, there's no discrimination here. It's it can be one of our own or it could be somebody never even met before. Doesn't matter. A needy person is a needy person. And so the question becomes then, you know, what what would Jesus do in this situation? And so you have given me permission as the pastor to address that as Jesus would. But I believe that's only because collectively we have said in our own situations, whether at work or whether at play or wherever we are when that situation comes up, that we too will, 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 will help in whatever way we can. And so church members call me and say, I know somebody has this need, you know, can you help? So a lot of you have acted as the intercessory to another person's need. That's awesome. That's, that's what is supposed to happen. So we don't agree on everything, but we need to figure out what we do agree on. And agree on it. <laughs> now, let me throw a warning to you. If you move away and you're looking at a new church, you'll go church shopping. You should. I, I would suggest take, take a, a sheet of paper with you on a clipboard with your key items that you must have in this church. And so A, you will check them off if they have them, and B, then you will grade them as to how well they, they do those. So if you have small children, how's a nursery? What's the, what's the children's ministry like? Yeah, right. They have Sunday school classes. Well, well they have. If you have youth, the same thing. Whatever you're looking for in worship, you know, you have five, six, eight, ten factors that you're looking for, and 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 grade that. If you get to a point of saying, "I want to join this church," if the church, the pastor, then passes a piece of paper over to you, and says, "You must sign this piece of paper." as to what we believe before you can become a member. More likely you're going to run, or you better run, because when you look at what is on that paper, you will see most, if not all of them, are non-essential items. They're nitpicky little goofball things that don't matter for salvation worth beans. But they put it, you know, we have to all believe this stuff. You know, is that more important than Jesus died for you and rose for you? you know, why that in the document? Right? So, you know, we have to figure out what we believe and then make sure that we believe it. But to make it that formal a process in which you're signing a document and saying, I believe this, doesn't, doesn't work real well. Um, we we have a member here who went to a more fundamental church years ago and uh, got on the administrative end of things and uh, had to sign a paper saying that you know they would you know it was uh, most of these things are I, I won't do these things kind of Old Testamenty type you know thou shalt nots type of thing and one of the things was you know thou shalt not drink alcohol sign a document you can't you can't be a, a board member until you sign sign a document. And the pastor must have heard something, got the board together one Saturday morning, and looks them all in the eye and says, you know, any, any of you guys drinking? Oh, no, pastor. Oh, gosh, no. <laughs> and they all swore up and down. They, 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 they didn't. And the guy we have now is a member here. He's looking around and saying, I saw you coming out of the beer distributor last week. And, you, you know, you were sitting in a bar. That, you know. <laughs> so, yeah, signing the document doesn't mean anything. It's the way we live on a day-to-day -day basis. So on the important things, let's believe them, let's live them, let's, let's, let's model this. I mean, because, and that's what, 
these guys are doing. They, they, they're getting, getting to the point of now you know, putting more layers of rules and regulations on top of everything that don't matter, that actually distract you from what's really, really important. So it's, it's not the most important thing, which translation of the Bible you use. It's not the most important thing, whether or not women can teach in the church. It's not the most important thing, what style of music you like. It's not the most important thing, whether or not you're going to eat bacon. Those are personal preferences. They are not church law. But many churches make them law. Paul left the Jerusalem church, the headquarters, in unity in believing in what was important with the other leaders. That's critically important. So the message Paul is taking was confirmed by the other big guns, and now he gets to take it out. Drop back to verse 8. For God who was at work in the ministry of Peter as an apostle to the Jews was also at work in my ministry as an apostle to the Gentiles. You see, God, God's working in different ways. So that's what I'm saying. It, it, we get hung up on trying to force people to act like we act. Gotta like the same music. You gotta do this exactly right. You gotta, you know, wear the same clothing. We do all these those weird little things that mean nothing. What it comes down to is what we believe and how we're gonna live it out. Paul had no problem with Peter being called to minister and bring Christ to Jews. Somebody's got to do it, you have at it. I'm not called to do it. By the same token, Peter did not have a problem with Paul being called to be the minister to the Gentiles. Completely different, but still the same. You see, what you need to be looking for is to see if God is at work in what this other person is doing. And that should be fairly readily evident. We call that you know, the fruit of your good works. Is there fruit of these good works? If not, then it's in question. But if you can see God at work in this other person, even though this other person is radically different than you, you should be just fine with it. And that's what Paul, Peter, James, and John figured out. Boy, we're really different but we need to be working for the same goal in mind. So it doesn't have to be your way. It has to be God's way. The three pillars of the church, James, Peter, and John, and Paul exchanged the right hand of fellowship. Publicly. It was on CNN a little bit later. Now, the right hand of fellowship was more than a mere handshake in the day. The right hand of fellowship meant, and everybody understood this, this was a culture, that this was a, an official agreement between two parties. There was a theological agreement, a verbal agreement, and now a public agreement. Why do you think it's always, every night on news or whatever, whenever the president is, is with you know, some visiting dignitary or some other world leader, it shows them publicly shaking hands. Every time, right? We are in agreement. You don't have to have any, anybody tell you what that means. You know that's what it means. We are together on this. And that's exactly what they did there. And Paul left. Feeling pretty good that we're all on the same page. It really worked out well. Now that much said, <laughs> page two, um, now the fun starts. So what Paul has done so far, he said that I went through all these steps, went through this entire procedure, we were in complete, total unity. Awesome. And then Peter screwed up. <laughs> Peter! Hey. 
I mean, do, do you see how severe this problem was in the early church? I mean, it tore everything apart. This issue of Jewish legalism even created a rift between Paul and Peter and Barnabas. That's how severe it is. These biggest leaders in the church who had just previously agreed this is what we're about. Paul now points out that Peter you know, went a different course afterwards. So, verse 13, Paul is going to use the word hypocrisy, accusing Peter of being a hypocrite. So let me ask the question, what is so wrong about acting one way with a certain group and acting another way with a different group? What's so bad about that? It's a conflict. Okay, so something's got to be wrong in one of them. Okay. Wrong in here somewhere. Okay. So if you're acting one way with your church people and acting a different way with another group, then one is, or maybe both, are wrong. You're missing consistency. You're being political. Correct. All right, so it, it, we just talked about what we believe, you see? So, yes, so it shows that you're not sure of what you believe. If you're acting two or three different ways, we act according to what we believe. So now, you obviously don't even know what you believe, let alone are able to communicate that to others. Can you think of anything else wrong with acting differently with different groups or different individuals? Confusing people that aren't Christians as to what Christians are. Yeah. That's not a, a great witnessing factor, is it? No. Right? So, one trying to lead people to Jesus, but you know, we show them a couple of different things, and confusing. yeah, it does register confusion. Mm -hmm. So this this is a key issue. And we're going to spend, spend some time on this because it, th this is really d demonstrating the struggle in the early church. And I, I believe a struggle that 2015 church is experiencing as well. And it comes down to, right Bill, what we believe. That if we don't know what we believe, how can we share the truth? I mean, that's what Paul was talking about this, the, this entire time. So Paul is accusing Peter of doing something incredible. That Peter now, up to a certain point, had no problem associating with Gentiles. Now, Peter's a waffler. All right, Jesus dies, rose again. Peter, you're in charge. Feed my sheep, feed my lambs. Boom, done, ascension. Peter, you're in charge, have at it. Pentecost comes, the leader, Peter, stands up, gives a great speech, a wonderful sermon. 3,000 people sign up on a dotted line that day. It's awesome. <coughs> but for weeks and months, Peter was convinced that this Christian thing, even though Jesus at the Ascension says, go into all the world, Peter somehow concluded it can only stay within Jerusalem. Or at biggest, in Israel. This is a Jewish thing. So the the understanding of Jews back in that day was Gentiles are, the word they used was dogs. You're nothing more than a dog. We Jews are the only ones that God likes. He has no time for the rest of you. And Peter started the Christian church that way. Until, if they go about halfway through the book of Acts, Peter had an encounter with Jesus. And you remember the story? He's up on the, the roof taking a little siesta, and he has this vision of a sheet coming down from heaven with all the animals of the earth on it, including the ones forbidden by Jews, pigs in particular, right? So all those animals... And Jesus tells him, go ahead, Peter, eat. Oh, knoweth, Lord, he's, he saith. Right? 
there are unclean animals there. I shan't not do that. And he argues with Jesus up and down and all around. I cannot do that. And Jesus says, yes, you can. It's all right. Go ahead. And finally, then he comes out of that, that vision. Because a guy came up to wake him up and tell him, there's a Gentile that wants to see you. Jews never associate with Gentiles. You would never go into a Gentile house. You would never eat with a Gentile. Peter went in, talked to him, ate with him. Because Jesus said, there is no difference, right? He made the connection. You're really talking about Gentiles, aren't you, Jesus? <laughs> and so he goes in, and he comes back, and all the other apostles and all the other Christians that are there grab Peter. Are you kidding me? You've defiled yourself. You were with a Gentile and you ate with him. Oh my gosh, this is the worst thing that's ever happened. Peter said, it's all right. Jesus told me it's okay. And so from that time on, Peter was fine with it. He's hanging out with Gentiles. He's doing all kinds of cool things with Gentiles. He's, he's parasailing with Gentiles. He's doing all kinds of... He's just having a time of his life. And this is what Peter's saying, or Paul is saying. Peter, you've done this for years. You know that Jesus said there is no difference. There's no Jew. There's no Greek. You know, there's none of this you know, black and white type stuff anymore. Forget it. There's no, no favoritism. Jesus loves all of us equally. So we are to share the message equally. Peter understood that. He was fine with that. He was predominantly for a ministry with the Jews. That was his calling, but he had no problem being with Gentiles. But then there came this time in which it happened. Some guys from Jerusalem came. It says, men from James. All right, so these are pretty high up. I remember now, James is top dog in the church. So he sent somebody. Peter was out in Antioch sends these guys to Peter in Antioch and Peter day in and day out was hanging out with Gentiles but as soon as these guys from James from Jerusalem headquarters show up all of a sudden Peter says oh, I don't know any Gentiles I just love me the Jew right I don't hang out with them. I don't do anything with, with, with the Gentiles. I would not associate with them. All just, just like that. Just turned it right off. Yep. And Paul is saying, we got a problem here. Because Peter, you're really saying you believe two different opposing things. You're placing both as equal importance. Peter received the direct instruction from Jesus himself, as Paul did, and certainly heard the invitation go into all the world, which means don't pick and choose, just go to everybody. And for a while, Peter was fine with eating whatever food was available and being with whoever was available. In that Acts vision he had, Jesus was telling Peter, you're using food as the means to divide people. Because if you're invited to a Gentile house, there's a good chance there's going to be bacon on the table. Not kosher. Not kosher. Right? Because kosher meant, I mean, there's all kinds of handling procedures you had to go through, and Jews were not allowed to, to, to be around that. It made himself crazy when they ate. It's unbelievable. Oh, yeah. It just Everything had to be just exactly right. And the Gentiles don't care about that. So, Jesus wants Peter to know you can eat anything and you can be with anybody. Now, Go back to Acts chapter 2. 3,000 except Jesus that day. 
You keep reading and you discover what they did was they formed a, some of us are the product of the 60s. Remember the, the commune? Remember that term? Right? Everybody just hanging out together and we grow our own crops and everybody has a division of labor. Um, you know, there's some people that are responsible for making clothing and other people tend crops and other people do building and other people, yeah, everybody has a job to do, everybody does everything and we all just pitch in and it all works together. Genius concept. Never works. <laughs> but they, the early church started that way. Yeah, 3,000 people together. In fact, you remember now, they were, they, before you sign up to be a Christian, you had to sell all your property and bring the proceeds of that to the disciples. That they would have then a collective pot so that they will take care of all your needs, but now we'll have enough money to help all the needs of the, the poor and needy around us as well. That was the concept. But at least we have all that in common. <laughs> it's it's a twisted communism, is what it is. <laughs> right, but it's but it, it it was meant to establish that you know again you know, like the basis of communism we're we're all equal because yeah you know, and it ran into that later on then when the commune idea fell apart. They, we see the exact example of that in in First uh, Corinthians because they screwed everything up. So the, the idea was we're together because now we eat together, we do everything together, and then we get to invite other people in. So every night in the Christian church in this commune environment, they had communion because they discovered that was one of the best means of education they had to expose people as to who Jesus is. People are going to ask questions when you say, this is my body and this is my blood. Trust me, right? So we got a lot to talk about now, right? So they're in that communal environment, but then after they got out of it, it reverted back to human nature being what it was. In the Corinthian church, you had rich people that were um, had a lot more leisure time, but they still maintained that we get together every night and have, have a common meal together. We don't live together anymore, but at least get together for a common meal, which is a neat thing to do. Some great fellowship. It's almost like exactly what we've done here tonight. Genius. I'm not as dumb as you think I am. So they did that because they saw the value of it, that now we get to reconnect and stay connected with each other, but it's also a great means of bringing others in. But the rich people would get off work early or weren't even working, they show up and they start eating. The poor people have to work till 6 o'clock at night or something like that. They don't get there until 6.37 until they get the kids together and all that. They come in and all the food's gone. And worse yet, they use real wine back in the day for communion. The rich people drank all the wine too. So they're sitting there falling off their chairs and everything. No, it's right in Corinthians. That's what Paul says. You're fat and drunk. <laughs> It's, I mean, it's really comical. So we got to stop this, right? Because it there's a difference here, right? The rich are doing something that the poor can't, and vice versa. And it's it's not it's not equal. It's it's not the way God designed it to be. So all this is to say that God has no favorites. Rich or poor, color of skin doesn't matter. It just doesn't matter. But when we can, let's go back to where we ended, that when we can associate with the poor, associate with someone who's different than us as a means of expressing Christ to that other person, that's what we're called to do. So food has always been an issue. We use it to divide. We even do it at Thanksgiving. We have a kid's table. Right? You guys go over there, right? Food is always used to divide. And what the Christian church started to do, tried to do, was bring it all together with food. It's tough to do, though, because human nature being what it is. But the bottom line is you should have no problem eating with 
a rich person or a poor person, a person of different color skin or whatever. It should not matter because it doesn't matter to God. So Paul uses the word hypocrite with Peter because now he's saying the Gentiles, the old Jewish line, the Gentiles are dogs and I can't associate with them. I did yesterday, but I can't anymore because these guys are watching me. And if they catch me with the Gentiles, they're going to go back and squeal on me to James, who apparently was still of that legalistic Jewish concept of thinking you had to become a Jew before you could become a Christian. We worked all that out. So now we do have a split in the Christian church. We have two diametrically opposed concepts at the same time. And that's why Paul goes on and on and on about this. Don't you find this tiring, reading this? It's like, oh my gosh, this must have been awful. Now, you need to understand the word hypocrite. We understand the word hypocrite in English as you know, putting on a face, a facade. The original word, though, and the word that Paul uses, was a lot more stern. Hypocrisy to Paul meant contradiction, which one of you guys noted, right? By actions. Yes, it's a contradiction. You're doing two, two things simultaneously that are, that are oppositional, which is just kind of silly. Why would you do that? Right. Or even doing two things wrong, yeah, the opposite of each other. Right, depending on circumstance. Yeah, the social convention. And that's where Paul is really focusing in on. So bottom line, Paul is saying that Peter's hypocrisy is no different than trying to get Christians to believe in both Jesus and the law. Remember, that's how we started. We spent a chapter and a half already on that. Right? The idiocy of trying to say Jesus is most important and the law is most important. You can't do that. You've got to pick one or the other. Pick Jesus, smart move. But if you're going to pick the law, then pick the law and stick with the law and just be done with it. But don't try and combine the both. It's, it's not going to work, A. It's going to be a terrible witness, B. It's, it just it makes no sense at all. So stop doing that. So that's why he's pointing out Peter after that whole discussion because said, Peter, that's exactly what you did. You did the worst thing that possibly could be done. You have damaged the Christian faith tremendously. It's a contradiction. And a contradiction then, if you're taking two things that you're saying are both true and putting them together, does that not change the truth entirely? There is no more truth. You've redefined truth. And that's what Paul says Peter did. By that one simple act of denying the Gentiles while in the presence of these James guys, you have altered the truth of the Christian faith. Paul is saying truth does not change according to circumstance. Now that's that's a good test. If you're in a situation and you wonder, you know, that was true yesterday, is it still true today? Apply it to a different circumstance. Right? Love is truth because no matter what situation you're in, it works, right? That's what Paul has been saying, the important things that don't change by circumstance. All this he said so far is just to tell you that. Right? And he's using Peter then as the model, don't do like he did. And if you're not of the truth, what you are promoting, are you sitting down? The contradiction is, you are contradicting God. You are opposing God. Hello. Right? That's why he goes on at length about this. It's that serious. Peter, 
the leader of the church has now directly opposed God. Back in chapter 1, Paul used a word to pervert the gospel. Now do you understand why he used that term? Because that's what he's accusing Peter of. You have perverted the gospel by one act. Peter was just trying to not cause any problems. He knew that these guys from Jerusalem would have gone back and squealed on him. Even though he knew in his heart he was right in doing what he was doing with the Gentiles, he somehow believed that I better, I better back off and try to just make it look like the way they want to see it. Why did he go out here put himself in that situation to start with? Right. Right. Yep. Uh, he, he yep. yep. But he's there because, which I mentioned last week, is because he's a marked man. See, th this is Peter on the run now. He had to get out of Jerusalem. He had a, he had, he had a price on his head, and they, they definitely would have, would have caught him very, very soon. So either stay there and fight, which you would lose, or take the chance of going far away and uh, still being effective in, in ministry. So that, that term in, in Greek is called uh, diaspora, the dispersion. So this is the period we're talking about. And, you know, as bad as it was, all those Christians dying, it did force a dispersion. Because Peter and everybody, like I said, they were very content with just keeping it right in Jerusalem. Now, if you want to stay alive, you've got to go somewhere else. So Peter goes to Antiochia. So they're on the run. And there, a lot of Gentiles. So, But he realized by that point it's okay. But for some reason, he, he reverts back. Do you see any connection with this story and Good Friday morning with our beloved Peter? You're, you're one of his followers. Oh, gosh, no. Oh, I have no idea what you're talking about. What's, what's his name again? Right. No, no, I saw you. You were with him. No, no. You're, you were one. I saw you with him. May God strike me dead if I'm if I'm one of his followers. Yes. And Jesus comes around the corner and they make eye contact. Yeah. Yeah. I'm seeing a connection here. Yeah. That's kind of Peter's denial factor that uh, he just yeah you know, when it when it, when it, when it gets gets tough he's he's gonna. Try and try and sidestep. Yeah, obviously, if he said that morning, "Yep, I'm one of his followers," they would have arrested him too, and he'd have been dead. And who knows? So, but isn't it funny how God can use use any circumstance? So, it's lots of fun. <coughs> Whatever you do, do not pervert the truth of the gospel. Paul's really in a tizzy about this because what Paul is essentially saying is that we're 20 years into this Christian thing, we had it right, and in one act, Peter, you've screwed the entire thing up. <laughs> I mean, he really did. I mean, we're talking, you know, Gentile relationships here. I mean, he just, as the official of the church, he just, he shut the whole thing out, 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 out the door. They're literally going to have to start from square one again with the Gentiles. What about the last thing he said in chapter two that Christ died for nothing? Yes. Whoa. Yep. But you understand the magnitude. Like I say, this is not, no, Peter, you made a little, little mistake. I mean, Paul sees this as the biggest thing that has happened in 20 years in the Christian church. Cataclysmic. And so he brings that up then to share with these churches in Galatia that you're you're going that way right 
you're starting to put two truths together, which means now you've changed it entirely, and what you have now is not the truth any longer. It's some perverted thing, right? You're trying to get them back to it. So he uses Peter as an example to basically say, yeah, I can understand how you do that. Even our big gun did that too. And said, you know. But notice what Paul did. When Peter came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face, verse 11. Right? So rather than gossip and talk about him behind Peter's back, he went directly to Peter, got in his face, and you can just imagine Paul doing this too. <laughs> that must have been a fun conversation. What do you mean going to refuse it to Gentiles? Are you nuts? He, he really went at him. So uh, let's, let's bring this into today. Have you, have you ever had a dinner party? Ever invite anybody over to your house? Let's, let's just, let me throw out a scenario to you. You have ten friends. Five are Christian, five are not. We'll call them non-Christians. You invite them over to your house together one night for dinner. Prepare a lovely dinner. A lot of bacon. In your house, you don't have a table big enough for 11 people. So, you're forced to have two tables. Don't get ahead of me, Peggy. One with bacon, one with lima beans. You assign the seating. At the one table, you seat there are five chairs. You seat the five non-Christians. At the other table, there are six seats for the five Christians and you. The meal is presented. Do you think the non-Christians would notice? <laughs> what would they notice? First of all, you'd pray before your meal. You would hope you would pray, all right? But you've the host picked the one group, right? Not quite good enough. Not quite. So now the next question is, do you think the non-Christians would be offended? Well, do they know you split them up this way? Like, do they realize non-Christians and Christians? Do they realize that that's the split? I'm sure they would, because the first question would be, why is the host not sitting with us? Wouldn't you do that? Like, you know, once again, you know, got invited here and, you know. So you see, you know, food is used as a dividing force. And we do do those kind of things all the time. You would think. Or, well, that that's my next question. What would have been a better way to handle this mixed group? What's that, Jude? Mix them all together. Okay, you could... Right. Push the tables together. Yes. Right? So th there are some ways around this. Make sure there's no head of the table. Uh-huh. So, Knights of the Round Table design. Okay. But you, you see how easy it is to get sending the wrong message. You, know, you almost do it without thinking. But that's why in, in situations where there are Christians and non-Christians, Gentiles and Jews and all of that type of stuff, that we are very mindful of the atmosphere we're creating so that you see the point of this is that would be an ideal circumstance to show them the love of Christ these non-Christians yeah. yes. wouldn't it though mm -hmm. but you're not going to show it if you divide immediately yeah. us and them type of thing so yeah so either if you're going to assign seats it's you know, used to be boy girl, boy girl. It's you know, Christian, non Christian, Christian, non Christian, or allow them to pick their own seats or something. But you know, to design it for failure would be idiotic. So we have to be mindful that if we're 
if we're trying to witness to non-Christians, then we have to do what we can to do that. And food is an ideal way to do it because non-Christians like to eat, right? So use that as a means of helping them to see. Yeah, you know I'm a Christian, and I know you're not. You're an atheist, let's say. But look what I'm doing. I'm sitting down to table with you. Not to have animosity and argument and all of that. It's just because Jesus loves you and so do I. Pass the bacon. Right? Isn't that a nice model? That's what Peter should have done. That's all Paul's saying. Why did you do that? You had a golden opportunity, but you chose to then push them aside and refuse to eat with them. And man, are they mad. <laughs> yeah, I mean, in Paul's mind, this is something these Gentiles will never get over. They like Paul. Peter, <clears throat> don't ever bring his name up again. He's two-faced. He's a hypocrite. He's contradictory. Bill, he doesn't even know what he believes. So why would I ever listen to him? That's what, in that one single act, Peter completely lost all credibility. The common table is such a fundamental Christian concept. When I was in seminary, lunch was called common meal. For that purpose. So here at this table, there's not there's not good students and lousy students. There's not you know there's 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 no no division of who we are. We all get to eat together in common. It's a pretty neat concept. But that's that's why you know I I, I love what our, our our kitchen crew does, and you know what, what we do so often here with 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 the meals that we have. I just you hungry. Come on out. We got you covered. It's just, it's awesome. Scripture does not teach us to be hospitable to our kind. We wish it did. Wouldn't that be nice? Yeah. You're only called to, to show hospitality, in other words, eat with those who are like you. That's not what Scripture says. We're just instructed to practice hospitality with everybody. And apparently, if we're not supposed to forget the poor, you get bonus points for doing that with the poor. Therefore, we sh not only should we not have a problem sitting at a table with a poor person, we should in fact strive to go out of our way to sit at a table with a poor person. Now that starts in school. Yeah. I mean, kids, kids out in Altoona Elementary, out there at Good Gold Ebner. Did you ever notice they kind of had clicks and. They, they had a few clicks, yeah. Second, third graders, right? Cool kids and they're not cool, cool kids and they're already getting set up as jocks and bandies and, you know, this, that, and the other thing. And yeah. And at all, boy, you can never sit at one of those other tables. But I, I, I got to tell you, we, we got the coolest thing going on here in Bedford High. Is it last year? Last year. Yeah, last la, last year, a couple of our our young Christians that we have in our group noticed that happens in the high school cafeteria, and so they decided. So three of them. I think three. Three of them decided we are going to leave our table of cool kids because that one kid is over there sitting all by himself. So every lunch period they go around and find the least and the lost. Come on. Who does that? Isn't that awesome? Right? But that's, you know, after 
all their years of being here in church and going through jam and youth and all that, they're, 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 okay, this is a real world, real world application I can choose to do in my life. And they choose to do it. That's incredible. Can you imagine what a difference it makes in the life of that least and lost person? See, so hospitality, the, the, the root of hospitality is, is empathy. Is that you can sense in that other person what that other person needs. There's nothing worse than sitting at a meal with a room full of people all by your lonesome. The food gets stuck right about here, right? So, if you know that, and we all do, then why would we ever allow a person to be sitting over there at a the table all by himself? These kids are awesome. I didn't figure that out in high school. I just figured it out last week when he told me about it. That's pretty cool stuff. See how this works? And that's what Paul's talking about. Is you know, Peter, you had such a golden opportunity. You were doing so good. And you completely ruined it. You'd have been better off not starting at all. But to start and eat with Gentiles and then all of a sudden to withdraw from that. Oh my gosh, it's so offensive. I can't even put it into words. So that's why we recommend and practice here at the church. If somebody comes by and says, can you give me five bucks for a meal? Our response is no. I'll take you down to the restaurant and sit with you and eat with you though and buy you dinner. Would you let me do that? They kind of like that, <laughs> right? Rather than eating by themselves to have somebody to share a meal with. So if we're willing to do that, can you imagine the impact that has? I mean, that simple act of going and sitting with the least in the loss is changing the dynamics of Bedford High School. It gets everybody talking because we've never seen anything like that before. That's not just for high school kids. That's for us too. And if you look around on a day-to-day -day basis, you'll, you'll start seeing those select few least and lost. I'm not saying be best friends with them, but do something with them. Good There's a woman in our Bible study, and one time she came to Bible study, and she was so upset with herself. And I, I may have shared this last year with you, but she was really mad at herself. And she was telling about this young girl. Um, she, she had stopped to get gas, and this young girl was at another pump. And she said she was so fidgety and just real nervous and looking around. And, and she said, I kept watching her while you know I was pumping my gas. And she said, finally, she got the courage up, and she came up to me, and she said, I don't live very far from here, but I have no money for gas and I'm empty and I just need to get home. I just need to get home to have some money. And she said, she said, I was so mad at myself. She said, I reached in and she said, I had no cash on me other than a five dollar bill in my pocket. And she said, you know, this this is all the cash I have. And she said, That's okay. And she said, As soon as I left, I thought, why did you do that? I had a credit card in my hand. She said, I'm so mad at myself that I didn't just go over and swipe it and say, fill up your tank. Yep. And I said, but Crystal, I think that happened because now you're an example to all of us. Right. You know, whenever that happens to, to us, we know now to get our credit card out and swipe. Yep. And then we were in a Beth Moore Bible study at one time. And she told this the same kind of story. Really? She said, um, she said, you know, I have been so blessed. She said that I, I like to help others. And she said, sometimes I'll just walk over at a gas station and she said, I'll just swipe my car and say, And run. She doesn't even know these people and you know, she just she just feels like, you know, if she sees somebody that she thinks could use the help, she just they don't have to ask. She said, I just do that and say that's why our church supports the Breezewood Trucker Traveler Ministry. That you know, there in Breezewood, the crossroads of the universe, you know, all kinds of people wind up there, been out of gas and cars break down and just all kinds of terrible, terrible situations. They need a you know night in a hotel, 
you know, until the repairs are made or whatever. And, you know, that ministry is there to, to, to help those people. And it just, yeah, it's, it's just awesome. You know, some just basic, basic needs. And, and that's why Jesus uses the example of a cup of cold water. And notice it's not a glass of champagne. It's a cup of cold water, the most simple, basic thing you could ever receive. But boy, when you need a cup of cold water, <laughs> it's, it's, it's like liquid gold to you, right? I mean, isn't that awesome? And that's what we're talking about. Yeah, it's not talking about the, the extraordinary. It's talking about those little wee things you can do on a day-to-day -day basis that are going to make all the difference in the Gentiles around us. But they'll start to really notice and they'll start to, to start asking questions about you know, why we're doing these crazy things that we're doing. It's all because of Jesus. Yeah, go ahead, Bill. You know, even before that trucker ministry started, there that gateway was kind of unique. Back during the uh, Second World War, there's a lot of, a lot of soldiers would hitchhike through the area, mm. turnpike, you know, and so forth. They would come in and have very little money and uh, be hungry. And uh, the fellow that owned the place then, was, his name was Smyter. And that's why sometimes people refer to it as Snyder Gateway. He would say to the soldier, "Here, go get go get something to get you, get something to eat. Just give me one of your patches." So he collected patches from the uniforms, and it ended up with one of the world's largest collections of arm patches. Wow! It used to be on the wall there at, at, the, at the new gateway. So it began way back. Wow! And they. they uh, that, that, that's really neat. But if, yeah, if you see a see a soldier at McDonald's or something, yeah, yeah. buy buy him a meal. I mean, that, that's just that's awesome. Mm -hmm. Yeah, love it, Rose. How do you handle this? You're walking up the streets in Bedford. You're heading to the courthouse. You don't have a purse. You don't have a car because your other half is someplace else with that. <laughs> <laughs> but, well, I, I knew this was going to wind up being Carrie's fault somehow. <laughs> <laughs> Smoking a cigarette, and she says, "Can you give me some money? I'm going to be evicted or kicked out of my house." Wow. How do you do? Go see this. Yes. Yeah, I would. I I would not give money. I didn't have money to give. Good. I would have because I didn't have my purse. Good. I. I I wouldn't give money for two reasons. One, one because she's wasting money smoking. See, that was my first thought. Yeah, and but secondly, that little bit of money you give is not going to really help. It's if if anything, it just you're you're enabling and becoming codependent with her in this welfare mentality. So yes, the goal is to find a longer term solution, which means it's going to take some time. Yeah. And you can't do that on the street. No, you can't. And yes, there's been. There's been a number of people that... that so you're not going to hell, right? Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. Is that what she was asking? Okay. Well, let's vote if she's going to hell or not. How many in favor? No. Uh -huh. But, no, no, but seriously, you would have done more harm in giving her money. Seriously. Dollars wouldn't have been a drop in the bucket. No. She seriously was losing the place where she was spending. No. But over over the last years, I've I've had several people show up in my office in just the most dire of situations. You know, not only going to be evicted, they have nowhere presently, and you know they have no job. I mean, they've like moved it. You know, they're running away from something, you know, an abusive boyfriend or husband or something. They wind up in Bedford, and I have nothing. And. That's all they asked for. Give me, give, give me some money. No. What, let me, let me help you. <laughs> what do we do? What do you do? We sit down and we figure out how, what agencies we can get her in contact with, what we can do. We, we wind up giving them money, but not that second because as soon as they have the money in their hand, they're gone. And the next day they're going to be in need again. Mm -hmm. And they're going to go around and hit every church until they run out of church, and then they'll move away to another area and do it all over again. So, like I say, that, that's what, when I say codependent, that's what I mean. Is that you know they they don't understand what they need to do to fix the problem. We do, therefore, we need to work with them to help them to figure out what 
what what they need to do. And it's it's a long it's a longer term process than just the five seconds out on the street or whatever. Good, right? So if we meet somebody on the street like that, then we can send them to the church. Yep, 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 yep. Send them to me. Can even walk yep. up the street with them. Yep. <laughs> walk well, yeah, walk them walk down the street. Um now, not that I'm always here, so you really should have my number in your cell phone. So you can call me or text me and alert me to this happening because I might be in Harrisburg or Altoona or somewhere else far, far away. And at that point, then we'll be able to figure out what to do if you have to go see Josh or we can wait till tomorrow till I'm back or whatever, but we'll figure out a plan. But um, yeah, it's, it, it's, it's, it's the, the, the urgency of it is a real red flag for me. Now, you know, eviction takes months and months to happen. Why is it now on the day you're being evicted that all of a sudden I'm, I'm finding out about this? That's... Doesn't happen. No, exactly. That's what I'm saying. There's, there's something, something squirrely going on. But it's amazed me the number of times that, that I've said to the person, okay, let, let me, let's sit down together. Let's find a long-term solution. How many of them just get up and leave? See, they, they, just, they just want the quick fix. Probably go buy drugs and stuff. And if, when it's obvious I'm not going to give it to them right away, then they, you know, well, I got somewhere else I got to go. Judy. Yep. Uh huh. Yep. Walmart. Yep. Okay, I didn't see him for a while until the other day. Bill and I was going down West Street, down by Dunkles, coming out on the fifth. There was a couple with a dog, but they were walking like around the corner to Dunkles, and I was wondering if anybody knows about them. I mean, they're still here. Now I haven't seen them, you know, panhandling and baby. Uh, we, when they first showed up there a few months ago, uh, uh, Bill offered to go in the McDonald's because that's right where they were and give them a sandwich. Right. Turned yeah. out, uh, the dog was getting fed the sandwiches. You know? But you know, I wonder about those people. They're still here. They haven't traveled through the area, and I, I don't know where they're living or what, what the deal is. For a while, they were living at the hotel. Where that is now, not the hotel. Which is incredibly yeah, expensive. In the mornings, like, coming in and out. Yeah. I mean, they're here, but I don't know. You know. All, all I know is, is, you know, when they were up at Walmart, you know, what they were doing, you know, they they didn't need it. It was, it was they were kind of like gypsy type. Yeah, well, yeah. Well, their their profession was was was, was begging and mm -hmm. using the dog, and mm -hmm. literally, pe people will help a dog before they'll, they'll help a small child. That's that's the way things are these days. Michelle, you're going to say something. Yeah, um, maybe a year or two ago, I was at the dollar store and walking up the street, and this man approached me and asked for money, and I was by myself with the boys, and he scared me. You know, you know, and I don't know what to do, and uh, you know, I didn't, I said I'm sorry, I ain't going to have any money, and I kept going, but I don't know what example to what example did I give my kids? You know, I mean. When you're by yourself or with your kids. Right. Well, again, like Rose, I mean, bottom line is that was the right thing to do in that circumstance. That, you know, especially somebody just out panhandling on the street, hitting everybody around. I mean, that's that indicates, you know, yeah, well, you can't, you, yeah, you can't a lot of... With the boys, and I was like, let's go! That's just red, red flag central there. I mean, that's there's no, no, no good grounding in that whatsoever. I felt guilty, and, and I was like, what did, you know, but I was like... Well, being yeah. being kind and gracious that we are, we're, we're we're not sending Rose to hell, so we're not going to send you either. How's that? <laughs> Two. All in favor, say aye. <laughs> no, seriously, it, it, it's yeah. But the problem is that Christians and the church have allowed this this welfare culture to dictate to us what we will do. So that most churches and most pastors and most Christians just give the buck and move on. And that's not helpful. It's actually encouraging them to continue to live in this dysfunction. So we've got to break that cycle. And the first way to break the cycle is to say no. Now, if you didn't have the boys and all that, then yeah, go call Pastor Jeff and he'll straighten you up in a hurry. What do you got, Bill? Christmas time, uh, they all got the 
together and they were collecting things for these families and so forth. And they knew this one family and this little boy wanted a bicycle. That's all he wanted was a bicycle. So these people, they, they went and they bought a bicycle and they gathered up the food and everything, was taking it to the, to the house. So they knocked, went up to the door, knocked at the door and they said the first thing they noticed was a bicycle playing in the yard. So that kind of ticked them off. But anyway, they took the bicycle in for the little boy and they were carrying these groceries in and uh, setting them down on the table. And it was a man came into the room and he says, what, what's all this? And they said, oh, we, we just want to, you know, provide you a little something Christmas time. So maybe have a nice Christmas or something like that. And the guy said, well, why don't you just take, take that back and just bring us about three gas cards. That's all we need. Just gas. <coughs> wow. That's that's the mentality that we have to break, because it's yeah you know, it's it's not helpful in 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 the long run. Okay, so we are out of time. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.